This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello, and well, here we go. It's a new season here on Just for Kicks. The pundits have been put through punditry preseason. They're sharp, they're ready, they're the best we've got. What can we do? Uh, let me introduce them. We have Sean Mahotra. Hi, hi, everyone. It's great to be back. First week of the footballing season for a long time to come. <laughs> and we have Asran Rosane. Hi, guys. It started so fantastic. So that we can, at least we've got something to look forward to every weekend now. Sad lives we need. <laughs> and we have a return from uh, a long absence, Kishanan Sundaresan. Oh, good to be back, Cam. Uh, thank you for the welcome. I mean, it, it did it really feel like we had a break, though? I mean, come on. Did it really feel like there was a break? It felt like the season just concluded last week. Well, it felt like a break for me because I had the Tour de France. And that's like the, <laughs> that's that's the highlight of the year for me. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do it if I had the football. So anyway, we begin. And I want to start with, so this episode will be uh, Premier League, looking back at the weekend and looking forward to the one match that's yet to be played uh, involving Manchester United. And uh, we will be talking a little bit about the Women's World Cup and finally the local game. So let's begin with the two matches played by the top two teams from last season. And well, uh, Manchester City got straight off to winning ways against Burnley, who won the championship uh, last season. And I was kind of thinking, eh, perhaps Vincent Company's team would cause trouble. So I'm going to set a challenge to our pundits. Can you find new ways to say how good Manchester City are? I'm going to start with you, Sean Mahotra. You're, you're only as good as your last game, you know, and City's last game, a competitive game was the Champions League final. I mean, don't count the Community Shield, but this is City at their very best and it's Pep at his very best, right? He lost Mares, he lost Gundogan, who you would say Gundogan was top three best performers for City last season. Losing KDB quite early in the game as well against Burnley, which is not a great great thing to start the season off with. But you saw Haaland doing what Haaland does best. I think he had nine touches in the first half and one of them was a goal. <laughs> it's you get gotten to a point now where you have to say like, you look at them with a microscope, right? Any little thing they do wrong, you'd be like, oh, okay, they're doing something wrong. But there's so many things they do right that it overwhelms the, the, the negatives, right? I saw performances in there from players that I didn't think, being very honest, that I thought would be able to perform. For example, I didn't think Mateo Kovacic would be able to handle the role that Gunawan played. And I thought he did exceptionally well in midfield. Haaland is Haaland. I've run out of expertise to talk about the guy. He's just a machine. I think he's going to bang it in this season as well. It's just pure perfection for Man City. But I don't think Burnley played a terrible game. They just played no. the best team in the world. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. About it. Well, for, for Burnley news, first of all, I just say, did Haaland actually grow over the summer? Um, <laughs> it seemed bigger. Hey, uh, Kish, um, Burnley. I think Burnley are going to cause a lot of teams trouble. And... I think they look pretty good. Yeah, that, that part I completely agree, Cam. I think that they're a team that uh, they've completely revamped their identity over the last uh, 18 months or so. I mean, from the last time Burnley were in the Premier League to the Burnley that we saw the other day, these are you know, two completely different sides. And, and you've got to give credit to Vincent Company for that uh, because having that sort of cultural change in a football club within such a short span of time is not exactly an easy thing to do. 
but company has been able to do that in a short space of time. And and the way they played in the championship last year was a testament to that. Um, and, and I think the, the the question mark heading into this new season was uh, whether Vincent Company would still stick to his you know principles and ideals, or whether there'll be a bit more pragmatism involved because you're dealing with the bigger boys here, uh, you're dealing with the bigger bucks here. But in reality, I thought that Burnley tried to play and tried to 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 be on the pitch the way they have over the last twelve months. And understandably, I completely agree with Sean. I think I, I, they, they they lost three nil, um, but I think Vincent Company would not have been too disappointed with his side's performance because realistically, they're up against a City side that just completed the treble. They're up against Pep. They're up against Haaland. Losing three nil at home, it's it's frustrating, especially when it's the first match day of the season. But there's a lot to be optimistic about. Some of the signings, some of the players. Uh, the, the one guy that I'm really excited about for this season is they have a Moroccan winger called Anas Zaruri. I think he got uh, sent off in this game. But Anas Zaruri is someone I'm really, really excited about this season. I think he could really, really grow on and be that 1v1 danger man for, for Burnley up front. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to watching Burnley this season um, and seeing how they progress. Uh, Azran, you're going to have opportunities in this season to talk about Manchester City and how good they are, I'm sure. So for now, I want to take you across to the match that was between Arsenal and Nottingham Forest. Arsenal 2, Nottingham Forest 1. I asked for you guys to come up with predictions. A lot on the Friday team, it was either Arsenal first, City second, City first, Arsenal second. Azran, I don't know what you thought before this match, who's going to win the season. But do you think that this Arsenal team are looking like title challengers? Uh, the thing is, I think I'm going to buckle that trend, though. I think Arsenal will challenge, but probably in my own personal rankings, I put Arsenal actually at fourth uh, mm. because of their defensive frailties. Again, they've got Julian Timber uh, over the summer, but yet I don't think he's able to solve the back four. I think last year last year we, we saw a solid Arsenal. I think somehow, even with Shaka there, they were they were pretty solid. Obviously, Shaka has now been replaced by Rice, who I think has improved the team. But they are still, for me personally, there's still some question marks when it comes to the defense. Obviously, now uh, they've got a new keeper in. So who's going to be who's going to be the starting keeper? Is going to be is it going to be Ramsdale or is it going to be Raya? We're not so sure at this point of time. Uh, again, Ramsdale has performed exceptionally well last year. But I'm not so sure the reason why Arteta has decided to bring Raya in. Is it purely to provide a challenge for Ramsdale or is it to actually replace him as a number one? So these sort of things, I think, is is why, for me personally, there's a bit of a question mark to um, Arsenal's defence. Again, they played well. Attackingly, they're solid. But the goal that they conceded in the last 10 minutes, I think that was unnecessary and it created a pressure uh, that they didn't need because... Over the duration of the game, they were cruising, really. Uh, but that's why, for me, because of this defence, um, I don't see Arsenal winning, unfortunately. Uh, not at this point of time, at least. Uh, for uh, fans of Nottingham Forest, I suggest you listen to our Friday show where Bob mm-hmm. Holmes uh, will take you through, step by step, their, um, the, the, the years that they won the European Cup each week. <laughs> and uh, so, meanwhile, Sean, let's stick with Arsenal for a moment. Do you have them down as a uh, top Two or four as Azran? I was thinking about it over the whole like summer break because it's been a long time since Arsenal have played in the Champions League, right? Those European nights are important because you're going to be playing a lot more games this season. International games as well come into play. If you go all the way, that's 60 plus games that you're playing this season. That 
depth that Arsenal have right now isn't something I would say would give you comfort, right? And the scary part is, I disagree with Asran on the point about Yuren Timber just because I've watched him over the last two years. I really enjoy his football. He was really good against Forrest, as he was in preseason as well. The injury he had looked very worrying because it looked like an ACL injury. I feel like he's someone that can really take them far in terms of how they want to progress going forward. Defensively, they still got one of the best defenders, in my opinion, in the league, at least in Saliba. So I feel the European Knights may creep into an issue for Arsenal. I, I still see them finishing in the top three, at the very yeah. least. But sure. it's sure. going to be I'm actually not. I, I don't think, I'm not saying that Jurgen Tim is not a good player, but I think they haven't got a solid, I mean, you can't really say the best defensive back line for Arsenal at this point of time. I think that's, much, I, I don't think Arteta knows his best defensive setup yet. I think that's yeah. why, for me, there are question marks over there. Uh, but Jurgen Timber, again, is a fantastic very, very, player. Very quickly, Kish, where do, you, where do you see Arsenal finishing this season? Yeah, I, I think the, the idea of having one settled back four is really a myth in modern football, really. I mean, Pep Guardiola and Man City proved it last year that you could completely rotate your back four and completely win uh, league titles and win an entire treble. So as long as the overarching principle and the and the philosophy remains. And when it comes to Arsenal, uh, I think they do I think that their back line is far better than it was last year? I think yes. When you've got someone like Jurian Timber coming in, who allows you the, the composure and press resistance that, let's say, some of the other defenders did not necessarily have last year. He brings that at left-back. He brings that at right-back. He's an adequate co- uh, cover as a centre-back as well. He's someone that can fill in in multiple positions. And I think that's a great acquisition. Um, the one thing I will agree with Ashkan, though, is that there needs to be a decision-making from a goalkeeping standpoint because you can't keep rotating goalkeepers. I think rotation of goalkeepers is not necessarily helpful. But that is a decision that Arteta has got to make at some point. Who is his primary number one? And then that number one has got to just stay in there and be uh, uh, a steady force at the back. But in reality, I think this Arsenal team has got so much better. My concern for Arsenal is not even the defence. I I thought they would have gone and secured a more consistent goal scorer because Gabriel Jesus um, has these injury issues that he goes in and out of the team. And Eddie Nketiah is probably the main, you know, uh, sort of a goal scorer, the main option that they have at the moment. Kai Havertz, whether he can deputize and become a, a consistent goal scorer, it remains to be seen. Um, unless Arteta's plan is to reintegrate Balogun into the squad, is to make him a part of the squad for the entire season, then, okay, fair enough. But as it stands, there's still a lot of rumours around, around Balogun's future, right? So many clubs are interested in his signature. So for me, the cause of concern for Arsenal is really that consistent goal scorer. Because you look at City, you have Haaland. Um, you look at Liverpool with the, the wealth of attacking options that they have up front. Um, United have got Rashford. Hoyland has come in. So you, you, you need consistent goal scorers up front. And, and my cause for, uh, cause for concern when it comes to Arsenal is just that. And all I did was ask him where he thought Arsenal were going to finish the season. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even answer that. Uh, it's like it's like watching late-stage Wenger Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> had to score the perfect goal. So uh, we move on then. And uh, we'll never find out the answer from Keish because I want to find out about Newcastle United here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with Sean, Asran and Kish. And now Asran, a lot of people uh, were very excited about Aston Villa's upcoming season. 
And then they met Newcastle United and it, they were comprehensively beat 5-1. I thought Newcastle United looked the complete package and it upended my thoughts of the top three. They are really in with the shout and let's start talking superlatives when it comes to Newcastle United. Again, they had a fantastic game. That's why for me, uh, when I mentioned Arsenal is going to be fourth because I believe Newcastle is going to end, end up above Arsenal this season. They've got a solid back five, preferred back five. Again, I understand where Keish is coming from, but Manchester City, they've got eight of the best defend, defenders in the world. Uh, not many teams has got the luxury of doing that. So they can't. They are not able to rotate with the same level of quality that they have defensively. Whilst Newcastle is a solid back five, we've got the same, same players. And then their new additions has looked exceptionally well. I mean, Sandro Tonali, what a signing he's been from AC Milan. I mean... First game, first goal, debut goal at St. John's Park. He's already a hero over there. So they've got what it takes and they've got a really good depth to the squad. I think the signings that they've made, Harvey Barnes came on for 22 minutes and what he scored one, assisted a few, including the, the offside goal. So they look absolutely, absolutely fantastic moving forward. Defensively, we know they're solid. So it's going to be a fantastic game when they meet um, Man City. <laughs> it's early days, but they're going to meet Man City next week. So let's see the test of the battle. But really for me, I truly believe Newcastle is definitely going to end up above Arsenal this season. Sean, are you in agreement there? That's a good shout. That's a good shout. I mean, from if we're basing it off just the game and the signings they've made, the scoreline really does flatter because <laughs> it could have been eight or nine. Newcastle was sublime. But I want to see how they play against teams who are going to press them a lot higher. Things like Liverpool, teams like Chelsea, teams like uh, City and all these kind of things. Because... They had it quite easy against Villa. Villa were, you know, there were pockets everywhere for Newcastle to work with. It was like wave after wave of attack. Basing it off last season, how they played against the, let's say, bigger boys, right? They frustrated the bigger boys. They tried to take away as much time as possible. They really tried to get, you know, the mental win, right? This time around, you have a much better squad. A lot more fluid attackers and everything. I wonder if they're going to go back to the the old way of frustrating teams because now, you know, extra time can be added on to well, yeah. an insane amount of time. Mm. So that's the part that I want to see. Like next week when they face, or this coming week when they face City, how will they perform against City? If they go with a, you know, counter-attacking style of football, if they go to take the game towards City, which not many teams are capable of doing, that will, you know, make me think, okay, maybe there's a chance they can finish quite high here. I still finish, see them finishing in the top four, but what I mean by high is actually challenging the likes of City for the league. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Keish, where did it go wrong for Aston Villa? And like I say, there were a lot of high hopes for that. I mean, is Are we saying Villa's season's going to be a damp squib? No, no, no. I, I just think it was a bad day in the office. It, it's as simple as that. And I think even if you look at it from a Newcastle uh, perspective as well, yes, a 5-1 victory was, was sensational and there's a lot to be happy about. Um, that, that particular performance. But I think they themselves will be the first to raise their hands and say that, hang on a minute, we were good today, but we also caught Villa at a really, really poor day. Where after the first goal and the second goal went in, um, I think it was the second goal. Second goal went in and you, you could see a bit of a mental capitulation from the Villa players as well. The last couple of goals were clear examples of, you know, the entire defence being in complete disarray and, and, and all that. And, and this is not... It, it, it's it's not something we've seen uh, from Villa, especially under Unai Emery last season. So I don't think this will be a pattern that's going to be replicated for you know multiple games. I'll be surprised 
if that's the case. I think I expect Villa to go back to usual business uh, the coming week. They've got some exciting talents. Uh, Musa Diaby got his first goal against Newcastle. He's a really, really good addition. Um, I know a lot of people were were, were making fun of Paul Torres and you know, how he performed against Newcastle. But give him a bit of time, he will get settled into the back line. The concern, though, is uh, Tyron Mings. Um, I think he picked up an injury and it looks pretty bad. So uh, it remains to be seen how they will cope with that because they've also lost Buendia, uh, Amy Buendia, to a long-term injury. Um, so I, I suspect that there's going to be still one or two more additions into the Villa squad, some decent additions, and that's only going to make them stronger going into the season. Yeah. So meanwhile, though, it looks like it could be a good season for Altoon. Um, as they are now known. And, uh, and so I'm going to change the running order around a little bit, guys. And I want to jump to Asran. Chelsea won, Liverpool won, your team, Liverpool. Uh, can I just say, uh, Asran, I thought Chelsea looked pretty promising and that Liverpool looked kind of old and slow and it wasn't really heavy metal football. And if it was, then it was like the 50th anniversary tour of Iron Maiden. <laughs> okay, again, for me, I think Liverpool looked promising at the start. Uh, they went out with all guns blazing. I think the formation that Klopp put out, obviously he didn't have any choice with McAllister playing the number six role and with both Gakpo um, uh, starting in midfield as well. So it was quite an attacking formation. Liverpool did well, but I mean, like what we've seen for the past 12 months, they looked a bit suspect. I wouldn't say a bit. They look quite suspect defensively. And the goal that they conceded after that and conceded a second, luckily it was chalked off due to offside, also sort of cemented the whole thing. As soon as Liverpool started to, or forced to defend, uh, they look shaky. Um, but going forwards, it's a different team altogether. So this is the problem with Liverpool. I think, uh, let's not talk about the whole saga that happened over the past couple of days. Uh, tug, tug of war for Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia apparently as well. So clearly, Liverpool probably needs a defensive midfield out there because defensively, there's nobody to take the rein, right? You can see during set pieces uh, without the likes of Fabinho and Jordan Henderson anymore, Roboslai, McAllister, as well as Gakpo aren't really natural defenders. So when the ball comes into the box, they really truly just defend on the back four. And even the back four have got a bit of question marks at this point of time. Van Dijk hasn't looked the same ever since he got injured. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's defensive prowess isn't probably his best um, arsenal. So, uh, yeah, uh, I would like to see a bit more steel to 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 Liverpool's game, hopefully by getting in one or an additional player uh, coming in. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think the game was interesting in the first, first half, but second half, it died down a bit. Really, again, for me as well, Chelsea was under my... I think they were underwhelming as well. Uh, if you ask me, uh, they showed mm. glimpse of mm. glimpse of hope there. I think Nico Jackson, they, he was unlucky yesterday. He was unlucky not to score as well as I. I don't know how Liverpool wasn't given penalty uh, penalty, but okay, that's okay. That's let's, it. let's that's how it is. I want to I want to blow blow the whistle on that. Okay, I can, guys, I, want, I can hear there's this voice in the yes. background somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> up front now, the beginning of the season, I want to put down a rule. Okay. Okay, but, you know, if I just don't want to get into this uh, penalty shout no, kind of whistle blowing, <laughs> yellow card. Uh, I want to move then to uh, Sean, Chelsea. Um, terrible season last season. Yeah, absolute disaster. I they can't do really, worse really than that. Yeah, I, that's the thing. The bar was so low for me when it came to Chelsea, right? 
that if I saw attractive football for even five minutes, I thought they were great already. But they sustained pressure from the start to the end. And I think two players that I want to single out that were sublime, one of which we already know is sublime in Enzo Fernandez. He was outstanding. His close control, his passing, getting into the channels all was great. But the player that I didn't expect to do so well was Conor Gallagher. The amount of interceptions he made against Liverpool was not something I expected at all. And this is my, my belief about Poch doing well with really young players. He tends to bring out sides of them that you probably haven't seen or things that you wouldn't expect. And I thought that Chelsea team was it's just the beginning. You know, they're, they're missing Nkunku through injury. He's going to be gone for four months. You add him back into that team. The creativity Nkunku brings you is insane. And Chelsea's not done with their spending yet. I think it was a few hours ago that Moises Caicedo's deals, you know, uh, a fee has been agreed. And then Romo Lavia is on the way. Chelsea's not going to stop there. They're just going to keep adding to this squad. And the thing is, the squad looks good right now. They don't have European football, meaning Porto have more time with the team, more time for the team to stay fit. I see them as dark horses going throughout the season because you have cover in every position pretty much. Once you get Caicedo in, once you get Lavia in, and Nico Jackson looks like a machine, right? I was thinking back to, my, uh, to the game yesterday, I was like, you put Kai Havertz in uh, the positions Nico Jackson was in yesterday. He wouldn't be pushing forward. He'd be looking for another player, looking for another player. Nico Jackson on his debut is like, no, nah, I'm going to take everyone on. Even if I fail, at least I'm going to take them on. And that's a completely different Chelsea team from last season. Yeah, uh, Keish, I want to turn then to, to you, but for a different match, but you can talk, you know, refer back. Brighton 4, Luton Town 1. You, you play what's in front of you. And... Brighton, I kind of put in the same basket as Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, and Brighton have been, I mean, they keep, well, I say losing players, but they willingly sell players. And yet they keep reinventing themselves. Could we be talking about Brighton being better than the Chelsea and the Liverpool that we've just seen? Oh, I mean, where do we even start with Brighton, right? We've been raving about them for for the entire season last year. Um, it's There's so many things to admire. Put aside the coaching, because, you know, everything has been said about Roberto De Zerbi, the brand of football that he plays, how exciting it is, how high-octane it is. And it, it, it's just utterly entertaining to watch, right, from, from a neutral's point of view. If you're a fan of Brighton, even rival fans just enjoy watching Brighton probably one of the most entertaining teams in the league. But it's the recruitment, it's the management of the of the football side that is absolutely astonishing. Um, Kukurea was voted their player of the season, um, you know, the season before last. Um, he left for Chelsea and look at him, where is he now? He wasn't even in the starting eleven for Chelsea, but no one is talking about him at Brighton anymore because last year they brought in Estupinan, who continued to be a real good outlet against Luton as well. Um, everyone is so fixated on, on Moises Caicedo's potential departure. Let's be real, they lost McAllister and they are on the verge of losing Moises Caicedo, the, the midfield partnership that was at the heartbeat of the club last year. But against Luton, it did not look like it was a problem. Why? Because they did their business early and they got in the highly rated uh, Mo Dahoud from Borussia Dortmund, who was a really, really stable holding number six as well. And 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 Joe Pedro, I mean that's the that that's the really interesting one. He was in the championship. Um, they, they managed to convince him of the project, and they brought him on board. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed, Cam, because there's all these talks, there's all these rumors about Mohamed Kudus um, from Ajax. Um, it remains to be seen if that deal is going to be crossing the line. But I really, really hope it does, because one of the best feelings in football is seeing a player of of uh, Kudus's potential and quality getting paired 
with a manager and a club environment that is really going to accelerate his growth and bring out the best in him. And, I, and if they do get Kudus across the line, that is just going to transform Brighton into a completely a different proposition in attack. This uh, If last season was exciting, this season there is so much more to be excited about when it comes to Brighton. Okay, well, I, I want to move on and um, take a short break in a moment. But uh, I just want to say that one possible uh, problem for Brighton could be that if the likes of Chelsea, uh, that kind of category, do badly... Roberto De Zerbi would be a very attractive yeah. new manager. And, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. But then knowing Brighton, they probably got another guy lined up <laughs> even better than De Zerbi. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take a break. And in a moment, we're going to look at a new and improved and not really terribly improved, perhaps improved Tottenham Hotspur here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with Kishnan Sundaresa and Sean Mahotra and Asran Rosane. And now, Asran, it was uh, the match that I've been looking forward to, actually, uh, to to look at this brand new Tottenham Hotspur. It was Brentford 2, Spurs 2. And um, I don't know, really. I thought that they looked quite good. Uh, I kept thinking, gosh, if only they had a world-class striker. But it was a bit of Aussie Ardiles football, a little less structured than I was expecting. But Spurs looking good. They still did the Spurs and unfortunately uh, couldn't get the win uh, yesterday night. So, yeah, Spurs, for me, the biggest problem that they had was losing Kane really, really at the 11th hour. Um, That decision, if it was made earlier, would have probably at least allowed Angie to reinvest the money. Uh, at this point of time, I'm not so sure whether they will reinvest the the um, money that they've got for Kane. But clearly, they look as if they really do need someone up front. Um, unfortunately, Richard Lisson had did, Richard Lisson had his chance yesterday, and still he was for me again an an, an underwhelming player. Uh, Richard Lisson, unfortunately, not just because he used to play for Everton, but again he's had uh, he had a horrible season last season. This year, a bit more expectation is put upon him with the departure of Harry Kane. Again, there's two schools of thoughts when it comes to Harry Kane. Uh, does he make Spurs a worse team because they play? Uh, uh, sort of an expected brand of football. And without Kane, they at least can play a bit of a, a different expensive type of football. Um, but yeah, based on yesterday's showing, uh, they missed uh, a, a really good centre forward. They had, they had their chances, but unfortunately they couldn't they couldn't uh, bury them. Um, and yeah, uh, finally it ended just uh, with a draw for Spurs. So personally for me, um, just to add on to what Kish said, I do really see Brighton going actually above both Chelsea and Spurs. I have all these crazy predictions today, of course. Uh, but the problem is, definitely, I mean, Ange, how Postecoglou, how long will he have a chance? Because I think, personally, I think he's good, a good manager based on what he's shown at Celtic. But with the like of Spurs, they don't give their manager a long time to prove themselves. Um, so uh, let's see about that. Shake of the head all around there uh, to that suggestion. Um I, I, I want to save you two guys actually up for the next one um, because I want to ask, by the way, Madison, I thought was very good. I think we all can agree. Uh, nodding heads there. So I want to ask uh, Sean and Keish about the match that has not yet been played. You are both Manchester United fans. It's Manchester United versus Wolves. And uh, so you are the final uh, fans out there who are full of hope and belief that the season's <laughs> going to be great. Um and I think you are quite optimistic. Why don't we short start with you, uh, 
Sean, are you optimistic about the United season? I am. I mean, you know, to do the things that the United are doing right now is something that I'm not very, you know, com- not, not to say comfortable with, but I'm not really like clear. I have never seen it happen at Manchester United, right? You get rid of players who are, if we want to break it down to the, the most, you know, blunt statement is they're redundant and dead weights in the team. You know, David De Gea is a club legend. Don't get me wrong, club legend. But he couldn't do what was required of him to do at the club. When you start losing your biggest asset, which is short-stopping, that's already a, a big worry. Brought in Andre Onana for a good price. He has removed so many players from that team. I'm talking about Eric Ten Hag here. And he's building this team in the image of which he wants. There were times where United were playing. and I mean, it's pre-season that we can talk about, right? It's mainly for fitness, but... You could see patterns of play within that team that you knew he was trying to do last season, but just it just couldn't work. The team couldn't gel that way. And you're starting to see it now. And it's only going to get better once more additions start coming in, which I'm quite sure is going to happen. And it's just a feel-good factor about United now, which I've not felt in a very long time. And it's not just that. It's actual tactics, actual formations, actual players who are willing to, to, to go out there and give everything they can. And I, honestly, I couldn't wish for a better team to be going up against in Wolves. <laughs> you mm. know, you've lost Ruben Neves, Raul Jimenez, Adama Troyore. You've lost so many good players in that team that used to hurt United. João Moutinho being another one. And you've lost your coach, you know, on such, such short notice. I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago that they lost him. I have Wolves down as one of the teams that could get relegated this season just based off no identity, no investment in the team. And you're going up against United at Old Trafford that's buzzing and raring to go. I'm very optimistic. But again, like I said last season, I'm going to take a game at a time, but I'm optimistic as a start. Well, all right. Well, Sean, where do you think um, United will finish this season? I honestly think it's going to be between United, Arsenal and Liverpool for either fourth and third between those three, those two positions between those three teams. That's, that's a lot of, but my math is, yeah, that really challenged my maths, that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> and Champions League, are they going to win? No, no, I, I, I don't think United are, are at that level yet. My expectations for the Champions League are very simple. Just put in a good showing, try to get as far as you can go. I don't think that team is ready to be competing against the likes of Bayern, against City, mm. but mm. I just want a good showing. Okay. Uh, Keish, um, so, you know, Sean is like full of hope that's going to be dashed when they when they lose 1-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, how, do, how do you feel? Yeah, I'm completely uh, optimistic as well. Uh, I mean, Cam, look, we, we live in a world uh, that consumes football um, from a lens that was never seen before. I mean, with, with the availability of match footages, uh, openly available, uh, uh, data and statistics out there. Uh, fans, modern fans these days watch football with a level of detail that was previously unavailable. And so even someone like Ashran can look at this Liverpool team and very clearly know that they're lacking a very clear number six. And you you watch them on the pitch and it's very obvious as well. They do lack a number six. And it's the same with United. Over the last few years, there have been several problematic positions and several issues that have always been brought out season in, season out. But the only difference being that the previous managers, A, never really addressed it or B, never really got the necessary support to address it, right? Whereas under Ten Hag going into the season, every signing is addressing a key problem that has been raised. We talked about the goalkeeping situation. 
for years now, at the very least for the last three to four years, right? And we, we spoke about uh, the, the concept of net positive where, you know, David De Gea could be an excellent shot stopper, but if he's making so much more mistakes, if he's not aggressive out of his box, if he's not contributing to build up, if he's not claiming uh, crosses that are high, then he's not exactly a net positive for the team. And so all these things have been mentioned over the last few years, but we're only seeing them being solved now. Andre Onana has come in to solve that. We've talked about the striking situation for the last couple of seasons, last three seasons, in fact, but only now we're getting a solution to that in the form of Rasmus Hoyland. We've spoke about the fact that United don't necessarily have a midfielder that's capable of pressing on the front foot and capable of playing a couple of different roles. And Mason Mount has come in to solve that exact problem. And we spoke about Harry Maguire's decline in form and Freck's inability to to you know, be composed on the ball. And we see these two guys being shipped out of the club. So there's a lot of sensible moves happening from a, from a player transaction point of view. And, and even before the season has begun, the reason we're so optimistic is because these patterns have not been observed at United for the last five years at the very least. So to finally see some sense and to finally see some uh, sensible decisions being made, uh, from a transfer point of view, I think that alone makes it a, a, a really, really optimistic atmosphere to get the season started. Okay. Um, and uh, no one's talking about the sale anymore. Is it just not going to happen? Is that? I mean, it's got. It's exhausting to, to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's getting good because every few weeks you hear a different story. Right now, to me, it's just if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, doesn't happen. You know? okay. yeah. Well, they ha- they have not yet received the just for kicks bid. Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's see what happens there in Ringgit, no, no less. Um, okay, Asran. Meanwhile, actually, the 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 game that we just mentioned up front, the United Wolverhampton Wanderers match, really, uh, it matches up with the three remaining matches that we haven't talked about: Everton nil, Fulham one. Bournemouth 1, West Ham 1, Sheffield United 0, Crystal Palace 1. I want to talk about the bottom of the league. These are all the clubs which uh, people have been talking about as uh, likely to go down. Sheffield United in particular has uh, some financial troubles. Wolverhampton Wanderers, as, as Sean pointed out, has had some big changes. Of these clubs, which which ones are you, you thinking are, are going to be having a tough season? For me, at this point of time, definitely out of the three promoted clubs, I see Luton and Sheffield United not being good enough to compete um, uh, in the Premier League. They'll probably challenge, but they'll probably be down there uh, at the bottom. Uh, to be, I think Wolves. I would, I would agree to what um, Sean mentioned. Wolves hasn't shown enough ambition. Uh, that's one of the reasons why their coach left, uh, and they haven't done anything really to a team that was already struggling in the second half of last season. So I see them continue to struggle this season. So if at this point of time, I would say, in addition to Luton and Sheffield United, it, it'll be uh, Wolves. But having said that, Everton were struggling really last season and they continue to struggle. When we talk about Fulham, Fulham was one of the teams that got promoted the previous season and they 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 went above everyone's expectations and they continue to do so. Winning the first game away is always a fantastic way to start. So uh, I, st- I see Fulham uh, being there or thereabouts this season, uh, safe from relegation. They will, they will continue to fight. They will be there in the bottom half, but I see them safe. So... Everton is another team again. What's happened to Everton? They've they've had a couple of decent additions to the squad, uh, to the team. Uh, the game against Fulham, if you look at the game overall, I think they had their chances. They were lucky not to score. They hit the bar once uh, through um, through the defender Peterson, uh, and uh, somehow Fulham 
through a counter-attack managed to score. So Everton hasn't managed to back up this trend uh, of really conceding silly goals and not being able to uh, convert the chances that they have. So if they don't, if they continue to, with this run of form, a bit of continuation from last season, they will probably uh, be down there uh, come end of the season uh, as well. Okay, Sean, you nominate your uh, bottom three and and also which club will be the first to get Sam Allardyce (laughs) in? (laughs) Uh, My bottom three will be Wolves, Sheffield United, Luton, and I'm going to go as far as saying in nine months' time, y'all can quote me on this, Luton will break the most horrible record you could have in the Premier League, which is by having the lowest points tally in Premier League history. I'm sorry, I just, yeah, I really don't think they got it in them to be a Premier League team. The first team to get Sam Allardyce is really interesting. I don't know why. I just <laughs> well, most of them that, already got already I, have had him. It so. strikes me that Wolves would get him someone who's you know stable, which is something the club needs more than anything right now. Yeah, I want to ask the same question of you, uh, Keish. That your bottom three and uh, the Sam Allardyce. I can also just point out though that you say that Wolves, sorry, Luton might get the lowest points tally, but in a way, there's really no, there's nothing wrong with that because they're going to make an enormous amount of money by being in the, in the Premier League for one season then the parachute payments uh-huh. i mean it's this is gold it's i mean it's gold but you know the the if you are a club let's use leeds as a good example right if you go down yeah you get that parachute payment but that doesn't mean you have the opportunity to go right back up again you know if you overextend yeah. yourself so i mean yeah. so Kish, uh, who who do you see going down and 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 perhaps being sensible about it just like okay we're going to go down what the heck yeah, I, I I definitely foresee Sheffield United being right in the mix as well. Um, Luton, look, I I love the Luton story, uh, but but you need the players to be able to compete, especially in the current Premier League climate, where you know teams like let's be real, teams like Aston Villa are signing Zani, you know, on the verge of signing Zaniolo. So they say uh, Musa Diaby, you know, clubs like Newcastle are pulling in Sandro Tonali from AC Milan. So you've got teams that are signing exceptional players across Europe um, into their sides. And and if you're looting down and you aren't able to make signings like that, uh, things could get really, really frustrating for them. So Luton Town, Sheffield United, uh, my two picks as well. But the other one, um, and that's the one, it's so easy to look at Wolves, right? And, 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 and look at their situation, their financial situation as well and feel like it's going to be frustrating. Um, so my, I, I would agree with Sean. I think Wolves, have definitely got to be in the mix. Uh, there's a big job ahead for for Gary O'Neill. And to be fair, last year when he entered Bournemouth, there was a similar feeling of of frustration and 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 dejection at the club at the point. It was a very depressing atmosphere, and he managed to keep them up. So I think Wolves fans will be really, really hoping that he, he pulls his magic this season as well. Right. Lowest point tally was Sunderland, wasn't it? It was Derby. Was it Derby? Uh, Fifteen was twenty-one points. I think. Uh, twenty-one was it? I was thought it was extremely low. That's about it. Okay, we move on. And in part four, we'll talk a bit of uh, Women's World Cup and the motion game here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part four with Sean, Asran and Kish. And now, uh, before we get to the local game, uh, I want to uh, quickly talk about the Women's World Cup, which is now at the semi-final stage, and it's going to be 
uh, drum roll, Spain versus Sweden. And what could be a really remarkable match, Australia versus England. In the quarterfinal, Australia uh, managed to beat France. And I have been told, I haven't been able to find it, but it, it was the most watched in Australia, the most watched sporting event ever on um, screen and etc. And that is in Sports Mad Australia, where they've had a lot of most watched sporting events. The, the, the competition is being held in Australia, and well, Sean, you 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 watched the the match. How 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 did it? How was it for you? It was exciting. I mean, there were so many shots in the game. I don't know when I think about you know the women's side of football. I always put the US as one of the best teams to play in the competition. Seeing them get knocked out in the fashion they got knocked out was was insane to think about. To be very honest, and then you have England as well who are exceeding all expectations. They've got such a good team. And then you have Australia, you know, the hosts. I was thinking to myself, what a Cinderella story would be if they went all the way to the final. I watched the entire Australia v France game and I was thinking, wow, you know, any team could break the deadlock at any point here because it was just end-to-end stuff. But of course, in in scary fashion at World Cups, it goes all the way to penalties. (laughs) There was a point in time where I was thinking, man, I don't think either one of these teams is going to miss or there's going to be a save or anything is going to happen because it's one after another after another. And as I was watching this, my buddy in Brisbane is watching the game in a in a, a pub with like 50 other people. And you can see the atmosphere in there. It's just everyone was so hopeful. Once that final penalty was scored, there's a hope and a belief amongst Australians now. Maybe not for me so much because I seeing, I'm seeing who they're going up against next. You know, with the returning Lauren James, which is outstanding as a footballer. I think Reese James said that she could compete with most Premier League footballers. And if I'm being very honest, I think she can. It's going to be a very tough game for Australia in the semifinals. The fact that they've reached this far is an amazing testament to their ability as a team and the togetherness. If they can get one over England and reach the finals in their own nation, that would be outstanding. As it is, it's already an outstanding achievement. Yeah, and this is in a in the season where the cricket Ashes was also played, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean Australia England have this <laughs> long running yeah. rivalry, and, major beef, uh, and then the Australians win. So, yeah. uh, so <laughs> Kishan, Kish, uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw at the early stages of the the competition when the Philippines scored a goal, and you know what that meant in the Philippines. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. what 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 kind of kickstart can can it kind of something like this do? Yeah, that Philippines moment was absolutely sensational. Um, I mean, obviously, Vietnam have been a, a part of this tournament. They were at the last edition as well. Uh, they, you know, the, these are the sides. Thailand have been in the competition before. These are the teams that are bearing the flag for Southeast Asia. I mean, honestly, as the Malaysian, when you when you look at the, at the Filipino girls, you look at the Vietnamese girls, you look at the Thai girls playing at the Women's World Cup, and then I'm looking at at our national association who refused to send teams to see games in certain editions because it's apparently not worth it. Yeah, it's it's incredibly frustrating. I just wish more attention would be given to the women's game in this particular country. But but at this World Cup, um, you, you feel there's a real sense of m- momentum being built. Um, England is a country where, you know, women's football has been celebrated for, for a decent number of years now. Uh, Spain as well, with, with the dominance of, of Barca Femini and some of the players in the Spanish national team, Bon Mati and and Alexia Puteas are, you know, phenomenal players at club level. They've won the Ballon d'Or, they won the, the Women's Champions League and all the kind of stuff. 
but but the real fairy tale story here revolves around the host country. It's it's, it's got to be Australia. The Australian story is the most compelling and powerful one because it's not just a story where women's football struggles to get attention. It's it's a country where football itself struggles to get attention because of the AFL. There's always this internal struggle, this internal battle between people who are traditionalists and prioritize the AFL and you know take so much of a slander towards the the you know regular football you could say um, and that dynamic has been you know brewing and has caused a lot of friction among fans of both communities over the year and it you could argue it has to a large extent halted the growth of, foot, of football across both genders as well in the sport uh, but now with, with the success of the Matildas at, at the Women's World Cup the, the, the journey so far you're seeing videos of people who are you know celebrating at the at an AFL game at an AFL stadium streaming a football match on their phone. I mean, these scenes and images are really, really powerful mm. um, in the Australian context. And I think it, it, it's going to be a major turning point. So win or lose against England, the Matildas have already completely shifted the paradigm when it comes yeah. to Australian sports. That yeah. is a real push for football there. Yeah, in sports mode, Australia. Um, I did, it's like, do, do they have time to do anything else other than sports down there? <laughs> <laughs> um, Asran, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're a Liverpool fan, and the club scene in uh, women's football, you know, that, that there's a clubs are putting a lot more emphasis on the on their women's teams are you aware of i and i'm not saying i know the 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 women's club liverpool cup and the club uh competitions as a whole yes uh, i think as you put it even the the club as a whole is really really encouraging the women's side of the game and even if for example as a liverpool fan if you go on the website you also have the pictures of the liverpool players and during kit launch events uh, women players are also invited. For example, when Liverpool launched the third kit over on Friday at the Olympia in Liverpool, Missy Bokens, a scouser, of course, who also plays, she's the number seven in the Liverpool team. She also was part of the of the launch together with Alison, together with Alexis McAllister. So a lot more emphasis is put on the women's game. So it's good to see uh, in football, in, in Sportsman Australia, uh, that Australia is actually in the semi-finals. And I personally think they've got as much as a chance of going to the finals because England started off as favourites because obviously they are the European champions at this point of time, but they've been decimated by injuries. Their inspirational captain, Leah Williamson, who plays for Arsenal, is was and unfortunately got like an ACL injury before the tournament. So, mm. you know, it would be good to see Australia playing the final. And uh, yeah, and uh, maybe on the other side, we've got perhaps Sweden who who shocked uh, the, the perennial favourites, uh, yeah. America, USA. So yeah. Sweden versus Australia would be would be nice to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and whoever wins, they should get the the ball, the match ball, and and burn it, and put the ashes <laughs> in a little cup, and uh, and and play for that every two years. So, uh, so uh, meanwhile, the Malaysian game, Kishnan, how has how? I mean, you know, some of us took a few months <laughs> off from football, but you have not. How how is it going? I mean, it's completely one way street. Uh, it's. It's crazy, Cam. Um, we're no longer talking about um, we're no longer talking about uh, a team that is going to win the league. We're no longer talking about a team that is potentially going to remain unbeaten for the entirety of the league. We're talking about a team that is potentially going to win every single game and accomplish what very few teams in the history of the sport have, which is the perfect season, a hundred percent win record in a league campaign. 
um, in the history of the game, I, I, I can't, re- like, I was going through the numbers the other day. Not, not many teams have done it, right? You, you have to go back till, to the, in the men's game at the very least, you have to go back to the mid-90s um, in Mauritius where a team won the league. <laughs> With a hundred percent record before that, you know, you, in the forties there were some teams. In the thirties, I think Rangers at some point as well did it. Um, I think it's a lot more recent in the female game. In the last couple of years, Juventus and Barcelona have done it in their respective leagues with a hundred percent record. But in the men's game, it's it's unheard of for the last two decades. So, Johor Darul Takzim are on the verge of doing that. Um, last night they completely smashed uh, Perak five nil. Um, so they've now played twenty games. They have won 20 and they have only conceded three goals. Out of those three goals, or four goals rather, out of those four goals, very few have even been from open play. Majority of them are set-piece goals. So it's it's ridiculous, <laughs> really. It's a level of domination. Azran is, is prompting Kishnan here with... Uh... Yeah, it, and, and I understand it because he's been his team has been bearing the brunt of it as well. You know, KL City, every time trying to compete and, and punch above their weights. But when they go up against JDT, it's always super frustrating because JDT just end up dominating everyone. Mm. Not to be the only team that scored in, in the Johor Stadium in the league. The only one. <laughs> we lost 5-1, by the way. See, but... even, I, mean, I mean, the fact that the fact that, that is the bragging right, it's, it's insane. Like, you mm. know, scoring against JDT, it's a bragging right already. But they're, wor- they're worthy of it. Uh, uh, Azran, they're, they're worthy of it, aren't they? Yeah, I think they've put the necessary investments in. Uh, obviously, they are training. They have, I, I was I mean, that was my first time to the stadium when uh, KL City played against them in the FA Cup final. It's an amazing stadium, by the way. Uh, fantastic infrastructure and everything else. So they've played well. They've put in the money into it, and yeah, they've scored what the, the average games per the average goals per game for JDT is something like four. The average score line is four zero because they've scored seventy nine goals. And consider only four. So every single team that goes against JDT expected is expected to lose four now. So yeah. that's how it's been. It's a it's a one way traffic really. Yeah. Okay. So um, hopefully next time we we check in with the Malaysian game, there will be a story beyond uh, JDT's uh, all conquering ways. So uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And I just want to say thank you and also ask has has this been a good start to the season are you looking forward to it so i want to say thank you to asran rosane it's a pleasure looking forward to more yeah and uh Shaw mahotra thank you thank you looking forward to many more shows and hopefully united gets three points tonight <laughs> that would be so funny if they don't kishan <laughs> and uh, sundaresan thank you so much guys uh, looking forward to seeing uh, wolves use their new manager bounce and beat united 1-0 <laughs> we, all that, we all know that's what's going to happen we all know that's what's going to happen come on okay all right thank you guys and uh, see you next time on just for kicks here on bfm 89.9 Football tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.